Welcome to the Doubles Only Tennis Podcast, where you learn the best doubles strategies to improve your game and win more matches. I'm your host, Will Bocek. This podcast, my website, and my weekly newsletter all focus on the goal of better understanding the sport of doubles and helping players like you improve faster through actionable advice that you can use in your very next match. My goal is to provide the best doubles strategy resources in the world. And to do that, I study, analyze, and work with players at every level of the game, all the way up to the ATP and WTA tours. If you enjoy this podcast, I've created double strategy products that go even deeper if you want to take your doubles knowledge to the next level. At the end of this episode, I'll explain more about them, or if you want to learn more now, go to thetennistribe.com slash products. Here's today's episode. Hey everyone, I am a little bit sick, so I apologize if I sound a little bit off, but I wanted to get this episode out to y'all this week. This is a conversation from January 12th with the tournament director of the Dallas Open, Peter Lebedevs. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, then you'll know uh, Peter's been on several times before, and he shares a lot of insights on what it takes to run an ATP 250 tournament. So we talk a lot about the changes uh, that are coming this year for the Dallas Open and also next year where they're going to be moving up to Frisco, Texas, which is just north of Dallas, uh, to the Dallas Cowboys practice facility called the Dallas Star. And they're going to be upgraded to an ATP 500 tournament. So that's some really exciting changes for Peter and for Uh, the state of Texas in general, uh, as far as tennis is concerned. Uh, But for this year, there's a really, really good lineup. Um, The player field includes basically all of the top American uh, male players, with the exception of Taylor Fritz. And who knows, he he may um, change his mind, uh, depending on how the rest of the Australian Open goes. But Regardless, uh, we talk about um, the player field, we talk about some of the changes for this year, uh, and then we do dive into some net play strategy as well because Peter is also a coach. Uh, Peter uh, works with Catherine Harrison, who I've had on the podcast before. Catherine uh, lost in the first round of the Australian Open this year in a pretty tight match. Um, She's coming off of uh, a lot of injuries um, from last year, and Peter talks about Uh, or basically gives us an update on her. We also discuss uh, net play strategies. So I asked him why he thinks that net play was the number one uh, issue that people had when I sent out that survey about a month ago. I asked all of you, you know, what what do you feel like you need the most help with? And net play was the answer. And he had an interesting um, answer to why he thought that was. we talk a little bit about why it feels so much worse to make an error from the net than it does from the baseline. Uh, I also task him with the challenge of improving someone's confidence at the net in only three months uh, for a roughly 3-5 level player. And he um, shares how he would approach that. He also shares a couple of uh, volley drills to improve your hands that um, I've never used these exact drills before. And I don't think anybody's ever mentioned these on the podcast either. So um, some new information for you there. And then 
we at the end we talk about where to get tickets. So you can go to DallasOpen.com to get tickets to the tournament. Uh, and also volunteer. They need drivers still, which is crazy to me because uh, I feel like everyone I've talked to in the past who has volunteered as a driver at these tournaments absolutely loves it. You get to uh, drive the players around town. Um, you might be able to pick up Francis Tiafo from the airport. You might drive Tommy Paul to dinner. Um, who knows? So uh, if you do live in the Dallas area or um, want to come to Dallas for the tournament. Uh, I believe you get some kind of free access to tickets on your off days, uh, but volunteering as a driver is a lot of fun, so I encourage you to do that if you're interested. So without further delay, enjoy this conversation. Uh, year three of the Dallas Open with Peter Lebedevs. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today we have, for the third time on the show, the tournament director of the Dallas Open, Peter Lebedevs. Peter, welcome back. Thanks. Appreciate it. So we've got the tournament coming up for the uh, the third year um, in February, February 3rd through 11th. Last year, we had this conversation and I asked you what's going to be different. And you all added electronic line calling. You had better food last year. Uh, and then you had more shopping, a big, bigger um <laughs> kind of area with merchandise and stuff like that. So what is going to be new for year three? You know, it's uh, we, we got the the formula pretty well down last year. Um, we've okay. got Mika Cena back for our mumbo drink and we've got a few new graphics you're going to see on the video board. So people can have a little bit of fun with, uh, with the Ace graphic and with our Deuce graphic. So uh, we're going to encourage people to uh, have some good times. We're uh, doing some delivery into seats for our boxes and our second floor people. So during matches, you might even see the odd waiter going out there uh, delivering some drinks, which uh, we did last year, but we're doing a little more this year, which is great. And, um, you yeah, know, new players, always trying to do that as well. For uh, for our ladies' classic on that uh, Saturday night, we have Caroline Wozniacki, who is obviously a, you know, former number one coming back, been playing some great tennis um, at the US Open. And getting ready for the Aussie Open. And Ginny Bouchard, a former number four in the world, she's coming to play that match. And then with the guys, we've got first time we've got Tommy Paul coming to our event, which, uh, you know, is his ranking right now is 14 in the world for our list. And then Ben Shelton, who, you know, mm-hmm. who knows what Ben's going to do with that lefty serve. So a few new players and a few new opportunities like that. So it uh, should be great, great tennis out there. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. There's the, it seems like all of the pretty much all the top Americans, um, I guess, with the exception of Fritz, are going to be there. Tiafo, Tommy Paul, Ben Shelton, Chris Eubanks, I saw who I love yeah. him. Um, he's a lot of fun to watch. Opelka is going to be back, hopefully healthy uh, again as well. So, um, yeah. And then, of course, Saturday night, like you said, Wozniak and Bouchard will be a lot of fun. And and then y'all had a big announcement uh, in the last couple of months about next year. So 2025, right. you're moving up to a 500. Tell us what's going on. What can we expect uh, going forward for next year? Well, in 2025, we we were lucky enough to be awarded one of the upgrades from a 250 to a 500. There were 17 different bids from various uh, tournaments and management groups around the world, and we were lucky enough to be granted one of them. And how that happened is we've partnered with the Dallas Cowboys to be out at uh, Ford Center at the start. So we're going to be going into that venue out there, which is absolutely amazing. We'll be able to get both courts in there as well as 
all practice. We're going to have a 6,000-seat arena. Um, and on one side of the court, we're going to have a triple-decker type structure where on the lowest level, you have boxes and food. On the second level, you have some more boxes and another food uh, area. And on the third level, where you can look out on all three of those levels to both courts, you'll have a uh, restaurant experience. So it's going to be absolutely amazing. And for the players, they're going to be able to stay at the hotel, which is connected to the venue. So theoretically, the guys could go up to their uh, hotel and never step outside for the next nine days. But the Star has 17 different restaurants out in that area. And uh, we're going to have an amazing time for the players. Obviously, it's a state-of-the-art facility that will take care of the players. And then for the fans as well, we've got some new things planned. Don't want to sort of... Um, making promises yet we're working on sort of does it does it fit does it work but it's going to be really amazing and uh working with the cowboys we had charlotte jones do our announcement with us uh on that day it was fantastic we had you know austin Krychek out there you know number one doubles player in the world because that's where he mm -hmm. trains out in that area along with philip farmer and uh we had some you know really great momentum that we're going to be looking forward to got to get through this one first and do a great job here and make sure our fans really taken care of in 24 and then 25 go up to that new level mm -hmm. yeah so so you said there was 17 applications and they handed out how many for the, three the five, three okay um one, one, in, one in april and two okay. in february got it okay and then who are the other two that got uh, uh upgraded Do um you it was um they had the uh, munich was upgraded and so was um Dubai was upgraded as well. Right. So, okay. um, yeah, some great looks, some great bids. I saw a few of them and um, a lot of a lot of work, a lot of time going into it. You know, we had to show the ATP what we were going to do for the players and the fans and also, you know, what made sense for when you become one of only 16500s. Does that make sense? You know, how does it look on a map telling the story of the, uh, you know, more uh, high-end events that the ATP is trying to create? And, you know, as you know, lengthening those thousands out, and so obviously Dallas um, and partnering with the Cowboys is a huge piece for that. Looks great on the calendar, and you know one of the sixteen cities that deserves to be uh, a five hundred event. So mm -hmm. really, uh, really great effort by you know the city um, here in Frisco and Dallas helped us. Both of those helped us together, along with uh, the, the Cowboys out there and putting that package together. So it was a lot of lot of team effort, and John Isner, of course, and a few letters from the. Uh, from the players, the US players saying, hey guys, we love a 500 because that would make us only the second 500 in the United States. And you can see how many players we now have in the top 100 in the US. Uh, Gary Furman, our principal of GS Sports has always been and got into this to help American tennis. And you know, with our commitment to the wild cards for college players and things like this. So the opportunity to bring another 500 uh, to the American players was something that he thought would be fantastic for us. and. Again, a lot of hard work, and they got it across the line. Is the so the date will stay roughly the same, correct? It'll still be in pretty February. Much, yeah, okay. pretty much the same. It sort of depends a little bit on uh, each year the ATP calendar changes, and it's based on um, sort of where the Grand Slams go, and then the ATP sort of moves in inside of that as well as Davis mm -hmm. Cup. So very close to the same dates. Okay, got it. And then for um, for this year, we talked about a lot of the the singles players who uh, may not play doubles. Um, I would love to see it, but at a two hundred and fifty, I know a lot of times it doesn't happen. What what do you have in terms of a doubles field so far uh, for this year? 
you know, the doubles field uh, doesn't come out for another two weeks. And so the okay. doubles guys, so they haven't really gotten a lot of entries yet. Obviously, um, um, Jackson Withrow and Nate Lamons are, uh, you know, our finalists from last year. They're yeah. back in, obviously, the local guys. That's really about the only team that has actually signed up. But what happens is it's just like the amateur people. They sign up and then the highest ranked people get selected. It's no different to what we're doing right. in our regular tournaments. Uh, and just like our regular tournaments, all of the entries come in like the last three days. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Um, you know, when somebody who's not used to it, they look online and go, oh, my gosh, you know, we're going to get the players like, even even I had to remind a few of the agents for our single guys don't don't forget deadlines on Monday so please sign up but uh, yeah we'll get it we'll get a stronger list as we go forward but we've always been very very good for our doubles here you know you know um, mm. two years ago when um, uh, Aravello and Rogier won our event and then they got to the tour finals had a great year and and um, yeah. this year we had Michael Venus and um, and Jamie Murray winning our event yeah it's so we've had some great doubles teams. You know, the Nathan Jackson finished uh, top 10 in the year. They didn't quite make the tour finals, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, top 10 teams. So it's going to be some outstanding doubles players always. Yeah, yeah, there definitely will be. I was there for the the match last year. Um, and, yeah, it was it was kind of a topsy-turvy match with the 10-point tiebreaker to decide it. Um, a lot of fun. Uh, oh, do you, well, do you remember? Do you remember what changed the final more than anything else? We you, so you were there for the final. Yeah, I remember there was a bit of a delay with uh, that, that like changed, the scoreboard changed the whole or the match. line calling system or something. It was uh, the electronic line calling system went down. Um, words that I don't right. understand. A blade server went down. Whatever that means. Um, yeah. And so we had about ten minutes, twelve minutes uh, of no tennis, and. Mm -hmm that changed the momentum you know you as a as a coach and uh, teaching people about tennis you know how important momentum is i think uh, had that not happened i think nate and jackson were on on a roll they and were yeah changed the momentum of the match and you know as they say that was they won't say it's the reason but it definitely changed things you know and as simple as yeah just taking 10 minutes to sit down i think really really changed that a lot it did and uh, i'm actually glad you brought that up because i remember when that happened the following week i did a podcast episode and talked about that and the thing i noticed so it was about a 12 minute delay i think so then they right. got a a three minute warm-up i believe after that it wasn't a full right after five. 10 minutes right after 10 you get a you get a three minute warm-up right okay so they they got a three minute warm-up they went back out there and i was thinking like what would a typical like what would I do with a three minute warm-up after a 10 minute delay or a club level player but they went back out there they hit for 20 seconds and they served for two and a half minutes like yep. all they focused on was serves absolutely it, at that level those guys it's serve and return so they got to make sure they're making mm -hmm. their first serve and getting uh, getting that in but uh, yeah that's look I might I might take a few more volleys but yeah. um, for them, it's all about it's all about serve. They got to get those first serves in and control the point from the first ball, you know, to strike yeah. tennis. Yeah, it was, it was really um, crazy to watch. I mean, I knew they would focus on that some, but it was like eighty or ninety percent of the the warm up <laughs> time. Um, okay, so I want to ask uh, a few strategy questions. Um, first off, uh, I want to get a quick update on Catherine. So, how is um, How's Catherine doing in the off season? I know she's been in Thailand playing a bit, right? She has. She actually she's sort of looking to relocate. She spent about 
you know, 10 days with me here in Dallas before she took off to Thailand. And we, um, we were working hard, just like any great athlete, you know, seven o'clock in the morning, getting up and grinding it out there. And uh, then she played some matches in the afternoon and do her fitness. She she went to Thailand. She um, won a couple of rounds. She's right four and two on the season. Won four matches, lost two. She just lost what would be last night uh, to the number two seed who actually won an event last week. She's hitting the ball well. Uh, her and I have been talking and it's she's like, I'm hitting the ball now as, as well as I've hit it in a long time. And it's just, look, again, the practice was nothing special. It's about hitting a lot of balls um, and getting prepped for, for the trip down there. She loves the she loves the heat, so Thailand was a great option. Hadn't been there before. Always trying to do something different, and uh, now she's going to she's in the doubles, main draw doubles at Oz. So she's uh, mm. she's heading there to the Aussie Open um, this week in a couple of days. But she's Good. she's sort of looking to to make that change and do something a little different. You know, it's the old adage of do the same thing, expect different results is not good. So yeah. she's looking at Dallas as potentially based because we've got a few young ladies who are now training out of Dallas um, mm. here at the SMU Tennis Center. So it's uh, it's actually a little hotbed of both ATP and WTA players now. So it's a great, yeah. great place. That's awesome. Yeah, tennis in Texas is uh, really on the rise. Um, yeah, hopefully I'll get to see her maybe at the the ATX Open, and uh, we can do yep. another pod- podcast there. Um, all right, so let's let's dive into. I just want to do three or so net play questions. So as I'm preparing for 2024, I I'm sent out this survey to, to all the listeners of the podcast and our followers on Instagram and stuff like that. And I said, what is your, your number one problem on the doubles court? And I've got listed out serve strategy, return strategy, uh, net play, baseline strategy, mental game. And number one is net play strategy. Why do you think that is for a 3-0 to 4-0 level player? Why do you think they would say net play is their their biggest issue? Because that's looked at as, you know, where you end the point. You know, you're at the closest to the net. You should be ending the point there. And part of that is the ability to, you know, take that short ball that they, or rather take that, you know, floating ball and do that. And it takes practice and sort of that split second that goes past you. They go, gosh, I should have had that. So they always feel like they're not doing enough as a net player. So I think that's where they look at. It. And then, of course, as you know, you miss one or two and you start thinking, oh, I'm going to not do it. I'll just sort of cover my half of the court. So I think it's that's why they they feel that they know that they can be the one to end the point and they're told by all the coaches. And just that confidence and that ability to execute sort of uh, creeps up in their mind uh, as, they, as they do that. To me, what they have to do is understand what their strengths are on their, um, on their volley game. You know, if you've got a great forehand volley, lean over a little bit, take a little more room. If you don't like your backhand volley, um, you know, don't be poaching as much on that side. You and I talked about that before, trying to take mm-hmm. that inside out backhand volley, you know, from the from the ad court at the net. It's just such a hard volley, um, teaching people how to, to play it correctly, get it back and then look to go on the second one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it seems like as well as you were just saying that, I was thinking like it, it seems like most club players – um, a an error from the net seems to hurt worse than an error from the baseline psychologically for some reason. It does, even I'm though aesthetic. they're worth they're worth the exact same. <laughs> it's because generally speaking, when you're at the net, you think you're in the offense, so you should win that point. Yeah. And also, it happens quickly. You know, if you have a twenty shot rally but lose it, you feel good about yourself. You know, whereas yeah. if you're up at the net, have a volley, you miss. Oh, that's over in one shot. That wasn't fun. You know, sort of a a little bit of that aspect as well. Mm-hmm. 
So so let's say uh, we take a a three five player, and mm-hmm. they come to you and they say, Peter, you know I'm a pretty solid three five player. My forehand and backhand are, are decent. My serve's okay. I'm just not very confident at the net. I'm not sure what to do up there. I'm gonna give you three months to work with me to improve my confidence and my skill set up there. How would you approach that? Where would you start? Um, I'd start on their positioning in doubles for uh, where they volley from. I mean, you watch the pros now. They're almost you know standing in the middle saying, take me down the line. And if you look at so many 3-5 players, their main goal is, oh, cover the line, cover the line. So I'd work on positioning first. Um, and then secondly, I'd be working on the way they cut the ball off because, again, so much of people at the net move laterally instead of diagonally to the ball. So, you know, when you take that volley, it's going to be, I want you moving this direction, this direction versus laterally. Um, And I'd also spend a lot of time on a first volley. The idea that you're going to be, you know, you've done your split step and you're moving as you actually hit that first volley when you're coming in. Because I think it's that transitional stage where a lot of players have difficulty. They don't make a great first volley. And then when they do get the opportunity to put it away, they just, instead of going forward and ending up, you know, right on top of the net, because they're so worried about the lob. That's why they move laterally. So I'd spend time on positioning, moving diagonally, and a first volley where they're actually moving as they hit that first volley. So years ago, I used to watch Wimbledon when the grass wasn't quite as slow. They had a little less rye in it. You know, there was a brown patch right behind the service line and a brown patch about six feet in front. The split step was at the first brown patch, and then the volley was made, and then the second brown patch was the second split step. And just emphasizing that. So... That's where I'd start with most and look, it's what I did for years when I was coaching at the Rack Club, trying to um, give people that confidence and, and know what they should be trying to do. Whether they execute every time doesn't matter, but if they get better and feel confident, they will have better results. Hmm. Yeah, I like that, especially with the first volley. If you're able to execute that a little better and hit it a little bit cleaner, maybe with more depth or to the opponent's weakness, it makes the lob a lot more difficult for them, right? That's, so then you, then you don't have exactly to worry right. about it as much. Because um, that's at the three five level, the lob is what everybody is worried about. I mean, right. and, and look, a good lob. You, Mike and Bob Bryan lived on the lob return. You know, they could hit it to within a foot of the baseline, and a great lob is a great lob no matter what level. Um, and so that's what people get get scared about. It. So you got to emphasize it's okay to lose one or two. If you win, you know, seven or eight, then you you know you win the match. But everybody tends to remember that time they got passed down the line or that lob went over their head. Like, mm-hmm. hang on, let's think of it in the big picture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so what's uh, one or two of your favorite net play drills to kind of improve your hands? Uh, look, there's always the idea of, you know, starting two feet behind the service line and moving in on each other, trying to force an error. So it's a, it's a quick mm-hmm. hands exercise. Um, it is one of the best exercises to do, um, just getting your used to that and also executing your shot. I also like just as a pure volley exercise, and I, I honestly, I see it done so, um, I don't want to say poorly, but not emphasized enough. I always do a, a three or four shot volley exercise where, again, where I'm feeding the ball this time, and the person goes forehand, backhand, forehand, backhand, and by the last volley, you're on top of the net. But so many people don't emphasize that to hit a great volley, I've got to take my step into it with my left foot if it's forehand, and my right foot will come around because of the momentum. And then I'll actually, you know, then cross over. And so many times they take the step with the left foot and then they come back to a ready position. 
And I emphasize the ability to move through the volley to hit a better volley. And that's the other, that's one of my sort of go-to drills. Whenever I get people to do that, it's like, oh, wow, I didn't know that I, you know, could actually, in a sense, go a little bit past the ball to hit a better volley and I'll get a weaker return for my opponent. So emphasizing that movement through the ball um, as well as the quick hands exercise are just two, I think, great exercises. One is technique-based and the other is um, sort of live ball, real life base, which I, I believe you always have to have both those elements when teaching somebody. Yeah. So so for people listening, I, I want to make sure they get this. So the first one, um, you can do this one-on-one or with four players, and it's just yep. a, a live ball feeding drill. You're a foot or two behind the service line. The opponent um, or your partner is a foot or so behind the service line. You feed and you just play the point out with your volleys closing in to the net. Is that right? Emphasis being absolutely emphasis being on closing. You can start as far back as you would like to give you more room because what mm-hmm. tends to happen is people take two steps and stop moving. And I want one person to finish with their nose over the net, um, win or lose. If somebody's that yeah. close, then the drill has been executed because I do see a lot where they oh, take two steps, they all get about a foot inside the surface and then stop. Yeah. But no, you gotta you gotta keep going, you gotta keep going and encourage that. Yeah. Yeah. You really have to push your kind of comfort zone with that. And then your, your hands will develop over time as you, uh, as you improve your reaction time. And then the second one is, it sounds like a feeding drill. So you need a, it, a it, coach or a basket of balls and they feed you a forehand back in forehand back in, and you're kind of moving forward as you hit the volleys. Exactly. You know, like you could put a cone out there and, you know, the, your coach feeds the cone. You have to go on the outside of it each time. That is definitely a technique that is more, um, coach simulated that you that you have to do um, on that one, but that is again a always emphasizing two things: moving forward as you hit it, and on technically making sure you move through the volley as you hit it. You know, you watch an Edberg backhand volley back in the day. You know, he takes that step with that right foot, the left one comes around and he's crossing over. It's a, it, it you know that was back in those days. That was like floating on a cloud, uh, watching mm-hmm. him in a backhand volley. <laughs> awesome. Um, all right, so that's that's all the strategy for today, Peter. Um, this episode is going to be a little shorter than last year. Uh, I wanted to finish off with um, where people can go to get tickets. And then also, uh, I know volunteers is a thing typically. Um, talk a little bit about both of those items there. Yeah, look, with all the tickets, dallasopen.com. Uh, you can get the ticket packages. You can uh, look at the sessions that you would like to to be a part of and and go out and see it. You can remember the worst seat is uh, about 38 feet away from the court. So there's not <laughs> a bad seat in the house. That's your worst seat. Um, so dallasopen.com. And we are looking for volunteers. Again, it's on the website, dallasopen.com. One of the ones we're really looking for is some transportation drivers to pick up the players from the airport and also to take them around Dallas when they want to go to restaurants, which is always a you know fun thing is get that opportunity to sit in a car and talk to you know Francis or... Uh, or Tommy this year, or Ben and his, and his dad. Um, so we're always looking for those. And we've got uh, ball kids we're already covered on right now. We're, we're loaded for our ball kids. But uh, for some drivers who want to get to meet some of the players, that would be a great place to sign up for it. I can't believe that that's the, the one that you struggle to get because I know people who have done it for, I think for Dallas, uh, for the WTA finals here in Fort Worth, for the yep. ATX Open last year, and everybody tells me it's so cool. Like everybody's it, like, oh, I was in the car with, uh, I gave Anz Jabor a ride to the airport and she was so nice and chatted with me. And 
like you get such good like one-on-one interactions i i can't believe that that's i think it's a little bit people sometimes are a little bit scared of just the driving aspect to be honest um Uh, i think that's it It, because look the the interaction is terrific every driver we have is that's why they come it's not because mm -hmm. okay this is what i love to do is drive it's i get a chance to drive and chat with the players i mean there's no doubt i mean i look I'll be honest, years ago when John McEnroe came to Memphis, you know, I, I took him back to the uh, hotel that night. Now, it was, you know, midnight, so there wasn't a whole lot for me to do. But, you know, I enjoyed the the chat with John and, you know, I'm able to talk a little bit of tennis things and stuff like that. So, look, I, I was, uh, you know, I was there for exactly the reason you said. So, mm-hmm. um, I, but I think it's just a little bit of the, you know, they're going to be driving brand new BMWs around. Um, so I think sometimes people for us, <laughs> Sounds nice. they get a little worried about driving that brand new. Yeah, <laughs> look, it's great. Once you figure out how to use the gum thing, I know when I got it, I was like, okay, where's the mirror? How do I adjust the mirror? And, you know, but uh, it's, it, look, that's a fantastic job. And we, um, you know, we helped out with Fort Worth, give some of them, their drivers back uh, when the women's mm-hmm. final was here. And, um, yeah, that's that's a great job, but uh, we'd love to have a few more in there. Yeah, awesome. So anybody listening, uh, go apply to be a driver at dallasopen.com. Um, all right, Peter. Well, thank you a ton. I will see you uh, here in several weeks for the Dallas Open. Any final requests or uh, um, thoughts for the audience? Uh, look, everybody, just come on out. Uh, Texas is a great uh, state for tennis, and we'd love to have everybody come out and enjoy some time out here and um, you know, we have a lot of great fun events going on. We're actually doing a couple of other things this year. You can bring in two uh, 20-ounce Coke bottles that are empty, and you can get a uh, half-price ticket. Uh, we're doing okay. some recycling recycling with them. We're also bringing, if you bring in some old tennis balls, bring in six old tennis balls, you'll also get a half-price ticket. Where Because our lake hold courts, not this year, but going forward, will have a little bit of a slightly rubberized feel to it. So um, we're working on our recycling efforts, and uh, this year our – our SMU player, Adam Ness, is getting the wild card, and Adam actually has uh, had a great summer. He's got about 20-something points, and he's got a big game. So uh, Tuesday night with the uh, college night could be a really, really big night. So be on the lookout for that one as well. Cool. That's awesome. That, that sounds really exciting. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Peter, for uh, coming on. And everyone listening, um, check all of the information out at dallasopen.com. Appreciate it. Thanks, all. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Doubles Only Podcast. If you're interested in diving deeper into any topics I discuss, I've created double strategy products that allow me to bring you more podcasts and other doubles content without relying on paid ads. I have ebooks and courses that help you make better strategic decisions during matches and become the smartest player on the court. Go to thetennistribe.com slash products to learn more. You can also join my free weekly double strategy newsletter that includes video lessons and more on our homepage. If you want to connect, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or email me directly, will at thetennistribe.com.